0: Well, I'd invite you to open your Bible together with me to Jeremiah chapter 17. It was about this time last year that I uh, set my preaching calendar for the entire year of 2020 or 2019. I do have my preaching calendar set for 2020 already, and I had this uh, week marked off uh, on this weekend uh, about a year ago, uh, and the passage that I chose to preach a year ago was TBD, I knew it was going to be after the Ruth series, I knew it was going to be for the Christmas series, but I left a week unmarked uh, to trust and ask that the Lord uh, would guide us towards something that would be meaningful uh, for the time. And as I got closer to the date, I realized, man, TBD is not a book in the Bible, and I need to pick an actual passage to be able to preach, and As the Lord led me to uh, preach a passage for the benefit of our church, I started to evaluate and consider um, how has God been changing me? Because I'm thankful for the privilege that I have to serve the church as pastor, but I am like every one of you on the same uh, process of sanctification and growth in faith in Jesus Christ. I need the same grace of God that you need. I need the same reminders and truths of the gospel message every day as you do. I need the same fellowship and accountability through community to endure and persevere as you do. And when I think about the pruning and the change and the shaping and the development that the Lord has been bringing me through in this past season, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse five to 10, best describes what God is doing in my life. And I've been praying that the Lord would do the same thing in our church. So as we do, would you stand with me to honor God as we read his word together? Jeremiah 17, verse 5 to verse 10. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Let's pray together. Mm -hmm. Our Father, I am humbled in recognizing that you are the one who searches the heart and tests the mind. I'm reminded again, even reading this now, that there's nothing that I can hide from you, that I am laid open and naked and bare before you. So God, I pray that today you would expose our sin, but that by faith in Jesus, you would cover us with the righteousness of Christ. That you would show us the shame of our sin, but that you would cover it with the love of Christ. And I would pray, Lord, that you would show us how we can enjoy the blessing of abundant life by trusting in you and not trusting in man. Thank you for breaking me and changing me. I need it more still. Would we all be a people who want to grow and who grow in Christ Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. So what has the Lord been teaching me through this passage then? Well, everyone wants to live abundant life. Everyone wants a, wants a successful life. It would be an odd person who would say, I'm content with a meaningless live, life. Uh, we want a meaningful life that leaves a lasting legacy. We all want a meaningful life that actually does good and impacts others. We want a meaningful life that, um, that is remembered. We, we want a meaningful life that is sense, has a sense of belonging. We want a meaningful life, and abundant life that can be resilient and persevere through trials. But how do we get it? Where does it come from? This passage draws a line in the sand and shows us that there's only two ways that we can live to find success and abundance. We're either trusting in man or we're trusting in God. And today from this passage, we're going to see the result of what happens when we trust in man and when we trust in God. We're going to allow God's word to evaluate us to consider which way we are living. Are we trusting in man? Are we trusting in God? Or do we even think that we can straddle the line and get the best of both worlds? What I've learned in my own life and what God is still teaching me and needs to remind me every day is that if I want to live abundant life in Christ, then I must decide to trust God alone. And that's what I have been praying the Lord would teach you today as well. There are only two ways to to live, but only one way to true abundant life. If you want to live and enjoy abundant life in Christ, then decide today that each day you will trust God alone. So let's ask ourselves first, am I trusting in man? Are we putting our trust in man? Well, what would it look like to put our trust in man? The passage tells us, verse 5, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. What does it mean to trust in man? Well, to trust in something is to rely on that thing, to depend on that thing for strengthening us, for supplying us what we need for our abundant life. Trusting in man means that I'm looking to man's measure of success And man's means to get it. Think about your marriage. Think about the relationship you are in or that you want to be in. Think about what you want for your kids and their future. Think about what you want for your career. Think about what you desire for your own sense of self-worth. Think about what you want for your relationships and your sense of belonging. Think about the, the abundance that you want for your spiritual life. Are you looking for abundance in those things according to man's measure for success? If you are, you're probably trusting man's means to get it as well. But it's foolish to do that. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. To make flesh our strength is foolish. There's kind of this repetition, trusting in man Make flesh his strength. Those are kind of like synonymous statements. But to use the phrase, makes flesh his strength, shows how foolish it is. Because who made flesh? Well, God did. And is flesh, are men, really strong enough to give us what we need to live abundant life? Well, Isaiah 40 tells us how strong flesh really is. Isaiah 40 says... All flesh is like grass, and all its strength like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. To trust in man's measure of success and man's means of success to live an abundant life is to trust and rely on something unreliable. It's to trust the creature for what only the creator can provide. But not only is it trusting in a foolish thing, it's actually a rebellious, idolatrous heart. Because notice it says that when we make flesh our strength, our heart turns away from the Lord. The decision to trust something for abundant life is a decision of our heart. And the scripture says that the heart represents the core of our being. The inner man that represents our true self. Other people might see the outward man. God sees the inner man. God sees the heart. And the heart that trusts in man is a heart that turns away from God towards idolatry. Towards foolishness towards a curse. And that's my default stance. My heart will always go to man's measure, and man's means first and not God's. And the Lord has said to break me, to show me how foolish and how proud I really am. But in the blessing of being broken, the Lord rebuilds us back up into the true man and the true woman that God wants us to be. I wonder, what measure of success are you trying to live your life by? And what means are you trying to get it? Well, in order to ask that question of ourselves, we need to first ask that question about the people who this was first written about. How was the biblical audience, the people who Jeremiah the prophet first spoke to, how were they trusting in man? Well, chapter 17, verse 1 to 3, the context gives us that answer. Let's look at it together, verse 1. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their hearts, on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their asherim. key phrase, ashrim, beside every green tree, on the high hills, on the mountain, in the open country. This term asherim was, um, it was the name that was designated for this like ritual religious pole that was raised up and worshipped and associated with Baal, the god of the Philistines, the false god of the nations. These people were turning away from God and putting their trust in the false idols of wicked nations. The the true living God, Yahweh, delivered them out of Israel and out of the false gods of Israel excuse me, delivered them out of Egypt and the false gods of Egypt and delivered them into the promised land. And God had commanded his people to drive the wicked nations out of the promised land because if they stayed, the temptation was that they would be want to be like the false nations instead of want to be like be the chosen people that God wanted to them be. And if these nations stayed, they would be tempted to worship the popular gods of the false nations rather than worship the only true living God of the world. And sorrowfully, that's what happened. And false worship and trusting these false idols for success and abundance life so permeated so deeply into the culture. Well, how deeply? Look at it again, verse 2. While their children remember their altars and on their ashram, where were their altars and ashram? Beside every green tree, on the high hills, on the mountains in the open country. Idolatry so permeated their society that they set up an idol anywhere geography allowed them to put an idol and they were so prevalent and so relevant on every street corner, on every hill that their kids forgot that they were fake gods and forgot that there was one true living God who brought them into that land. Uh, It's like if you went into Hope Kids... Go, when you pick up your kids after service, and every time you see a children's book, and every time you see the name Jesus printed somewhere, and every time you see the word hope somewhere, and every time you see a cross, it's as it permeated their culture so much that it's as if you went into Hope Kids and every one of those Christian images were replaced with a Buddha. That's like how much idolatry permeated their time. They turned from the Lord and they trusted in the popular gods of the wicked nations that the Lord said that they should not worship. Not only that, did they turn away from the Lord to idols, they also turned away from the Lord and trusted in their money. Look at verse three, on the mountains and the open countries, your wealth and all your treasures, I will give for spoil as the price of your high places for the sin throughout all your territory. So God was saying, like, you're wealthy, but because of your sin of idolatry, I'm going to, like, take all that away when another nation comes in and, and exiles you out of the land. But they actually were trusting in their wealth. They, they knew that they were wealthy. They knew that they were idolatrous. They knew that it was wrong. They knew judgment was coming, but they actually believed in their mind that they could buy their way out of it. And the sorrowful thing is that the way that they acquired their money, verse 11 says, is that they got it by exploiting their neighbors. They didn't get this legally, they didn't get this justly. they got their wealth on the backs of exploitation. And another contemporary prophet of Jeremiah's time, Zephaniah, actually told them, "Hey, you can't buy your way out of God's judgment. You can't rely on your wealth." Zephaniah one verse seventeen18 says, I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like the dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. Mm, But their mentality was now, I'm just going to get rich no matter what the cost, no matter who I hurt. And they thought they had a successful life, worshiping these popular gods, accumulating more and more wealth, whatever the cost. Is that the way you think abundant life should be? Are you trusting in the strength of man for the quality of your life? Are you trusting in man's measure for success and looking and using man's means to get it? Sorrowfully, I see this in our church. Sorrowfully, I see it in my own life too. And I'm thankful that my loving father was willing to crush me to show me how he could be rebuild me to be the man who he really wants me to be. See, in my own life, sometimes I think my measure for success is just the approval of others. And in my flesh, I'm tempted to use the calling that God has given me in the position of leadership that God has given me to get the approval of others. And because my measure of success is just other people's approval and other people's opinion, the means that I use to get it is style and skill. If I have the right leadership style, people will like me. If I have the right communication skill, people will like me. And by doing that, I embrace false idols just like the people in Israel did. And the idol is myself. And I want other people to get my approval. Seeking man's means for success and man's measure for success forsakes God and forsakes God's way. It forsakes prayer because it says, I don't need God. I got this myself. It forsakes scripture because it says, I don't need your way. God, I'm smart enough myself. I'm wise enough myself. What measure of abundance are you looking for for your own life? What's the measure of success that you are putting on your kids? What measure of success are you looking for in your career, in your relationships, in your sense of self-worth? And how are you seeking man's means to get it? If this is the way that you're living, uh, you've got a sorrowful end ahead of you. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. If you're trusting in man like I can so easily trust in man myself, there's only two things that we can really expect will come from this. And those two things are found in verse 6. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the, places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. If you're trusting in man, man's measure for success and man's means to get it, then expect hopelessness to be the result. Expect that you live a hopeless life. The ironic thing is that the passage says, he shall not see any good come, but I think these people thought they had their good life. They had wealth. They were worshiping the popular gods. Maybe the other people were jealous of them and wanted what they wanted. But even though they thought they found the good life, God saw straight through it and said, you have no good and no true good will ever come to you. I think um, the book of Ecclesiastes should be required reading for every high school graduate before they go to frosh week. Because we live in the 21st century and man's measure of success and man's means to get it is so readily available. And 20-year-old kids going into university, if they want it, they can get it. If they want the world's measure of success, they can get it. Just like Solomon got it in the book of Ecclesiastes. Any measure of man's success, he got by man's means. You want to have the richest house on the block, check, Solomon got it. You want to have all the answers to life's questions, check, Solomon got it. Do you want... To feel like you're sexually fulfilled, like even to have a new woman that you could sleep with every day, all year long? Check. Solomon got it. Do you want to not just be invited to the best parties, but you want to have the best parties with the most exotic drinks? Check. Solomon got it. Do you want every physical pleasure available at any moment of the day? Check. Solomon got it. And at the end, what was his conclusion of all of it? Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Trying to seek abundance in life in like this way is like trying to capture steam in your hand when it comes out of the kettle. Everyone might be jealous of what you have, but that aching feeling of hopelessness in your soul is there because you're trying to satisfy a spiritual desire with physical means. That's why you binge on Netflix. That's why you overdrink when you go to bed. That's why you're addicted to pornography. That's why you're gluttonous. You keep feeding and feeding and feeding your soul with physical needs, but you're pouring it into a black hole trying to fill a spiritual desire. Only the Lord can satisfy the longing in our heart. But if we're trusting in man's measure and man's means, then, then we should expect to have a hopeless end. Not only that, it kind of gets worse. You should expect weariness. Look at the text again, verse 6. He is like a shrub in the desert. Shrubs don't grow pretty, very big, do they? But they also don't grow like at all when they're in unlivable conditions. He is like a shrub in the desert, shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. If an ancient nation who conquered another country wanted to really stick it to them, what they would do is they would burn their crops and salt their fields so that nothing could ever grow again. And a trust in man is choosing to plant yourself for all of life in a salted land where nothing can grow. I've seen people dramatically uproot their lives because they want man's measure of success and they seek man's means to get it, but they feel so weary that they think they need a change. Yet they don't think that their heart needs to change, they believe their circumstances need to change. So they dramatically uproot their life thinking that a circumstantial change will make me not weary and not empty and not dry anymore when what they really need is the change of heart. I've seen people quit ministry roles. I've seen people leave their spouses. I've seen people change their job. I've seen people literally move to another continent yet not willing to look in their self and see, is my heart the problem? But God offers something so much more. The abundant life that God offers can only be lived in the Holy Spirit. You, You can't expect to be on the wide road that leads to destruction, yet still have the purpose and meaning that comes from the walking on the narrow path. You can't expect to bear the fruit of the Spirit if you're walking by the flesh. You can't expect to enjoy the full worship of God if you're also keeping so many idols in your life. But God offers so much abundance through Jesus Christ. Do we not believe the promise that he gave to us? In John 10.10, I have come so that they might have life and live it abundantly. Did Jesus not come for that purpose? Yet so many of us are still burdened in weariness and hopelessness. And I think it's because they think they can straddle the line. Because this is pretty... This is a pretty elementary message, isn't it? Trust in God alone. It seems pretty basic. Why aren't more of us enjoying this abundant life in Christ? Why do I? Why does it seem so frequently outside of my grasp? It's because I think we're trying to straddle the line. We think we can trust man and trust God. Are you trusting in man? Well, let's now ask ourselves, what does it look like to trust in God? How would I know if I trust in God? Are you trusting in man, or are you trusting in God alone? What does it look like to trust in God? Well, the context of chapter 17 shows us in verse 1 again. Would you look there with me? Chapter uh, chapter 17, verse 1. It says, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their hearts. See, this phrase, engraved on the tablet of the hearts, was really significant. The ancient readers who read that would have had immediately called to mind the picture of Moses carrying the Ten Commandments, right? Because God told Moses to take... Uh, Two tablets of stone and that the Lord himself with his very own finger would mark and engrave the ten commandments on it. And he would bring that down written by the finger of God to the people engraved and carved on stone. Yet their idolatry was so permeated into their culture and their love of money was so permeated into their culture that their sin was so deep into their hearts that their sin was engraved on the tablets of their heart. Like it was tattooed. Their sin was tattooed through their soul. But it wasn't supposed to be that way. What was supposed to be engraved on the tablets of their heart was the word of God. They are supposed to like bind it to their hands, write it on the doorposts of their home. But they weren't. That's what it's like to actually trust in God. Not that our idolatry... And our love of money would be engraved on our hearts and tattooed on our souls. But the word of God would be so filled in our mind and richly dwelling in our heart that the word of God would be so engraved on our hearts that what comes out of our mouth is naturally, in our conversations, more of sharing God's word. To truly trust in God is to let the word of God abide in you so deeply and so richly that it's like tattooed to your soul engraved in your heart and when it is it naturally comes out in other people and other people see it and hear it that's how the the israelites were supposed to live that's what deuteronomy 11 says you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and then it naturally should come out in the conversation especially with their families. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you sit down in your house, when you are walking by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. The family, the parent that truly trusts in God has kids that hear mom and dad share God's word with them all the time. When they sit down for dinner, when they walk their kids to the bus at school, when they lie down for sleep, when they wake up in the morning, the parent who trusts in God has kids who hear God's word come out of their mouth in all of these circumstances. Yet sorrowfully, in Jeremiah's time, the kids forgot that Yahweh even existed. And everywhere they looked, mom and dad set up idols. And I wonder how many families have kids who don't even remember the last time mom and dad prayed for dinner. Can't even remember the last time that they read God's word before bed. Yet, yet this is what it really is to trust in God, that His word is so central to my being and to my existence, as Proverbs three verse five and says: Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The, the heart that trusts in man turns away from the Lord. The heart that trusts in God trusts in God with all of their heart. Do not lean on any of your own understanding or man's understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Yet so many of us are living crooked lives because we trust in man. Psalm 119 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 1 verse 1 to 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the way of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. Trusting in God's word, friend, isn't just having someone else open up the Bible and preach it to you once a week. It's not just coming to small group once a week and talking about it with your small group members. It's not even just reading it once in the morning or once at night. It's so ingrained in us and embedded in us that it is our meditation all day the day and when it's like that then what naturally spills out of us isn't just conversation with others that are saturated with God's word but it's prayer that is saturated with God's word and when we pray in such a way that we are praying God's word we are praying God's will and when we pray God's will we have the prayers we ask of God that's what Jesus said in John 15 verse 7 and 8 If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Do you see what God's measure of success is and God's means? God's measure is John 17 verse 9. By this, abiding and praying, by this, my Father will be glorified in that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. The life, the measure of success that is true abundance is a life that is reflected and conformed to the image of Christ. That is God's measure. And the means that we trust to get there is letting his word abide in us and laying it before him in prayer. If you want to change your heart so that you're seeking God's measure for abundance, let your heart be changed by God's word. And then don't just let it sit in your heart. Let it spill out in prayer. And you will have the desires of your heart. And you will have abundance in Christ Jesus. This is a far stretch from being a shrub in the desert. This is a far stretch from expecting hopelessness and weariness. And in fact, there are two other things that you can expect if you're living this way. If you're having this abundant life, verse 7 and 8 tell us what we can expect, that we, what we can live by if we're trusting in God. Let's look at verse 7 blessed is the man who trusts in the lord whose trust is the lord he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream see the comparison yeah i don't want to live the shrub life i want to live that red oak strong rooted 100 foot tall not shaken in a hurricane tree life and it does not fear when heat comes For its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. The two things you can expect when you're living a life that's trusting in God alone. First, you can expect growth. Not a shrub. A red oak. Its leaves remain green even in seasons of heat. It doesn't cease to bear fruit even when there's a drought. So here's the thing about the abundant life. Um, You're still going to suffer. I'm still going to suffer. Yet even in times where it might feel like a spiritual drought, God can still grow you. So that you're not the same as you were six months ago. And you're not the same as you were six years ago. Because God is changing you, but sorrowfully. So many of us are still struggling with the same sins that we were stuck with in high school. Even though now we might have kids who themselves are in high school. It doesn't need to be that way. When you're seeking God's measure of abundance, by God's means, through the words in prayer, with his word in prayer, you can expect growth and you can expect peace. Because see, the times of heat will come and the year of drought will come. But when the time of heat and the time of drought comes and the things that could produce anxiety and fear come, you won't be stained and pushed down and fainted by fear and anxiety. Even when anxious times and fearful times come, you can have peace. I can testify to this in the past month, how when the burning sun has blazed down, the Lord has still maintained me in peace of mind. Are you trusting in man or are you trusting in God alone? I'm so convinced the reason that many of us, myself included, are missing out the abundance of Christ and still stuck in weariness and hopelessness and fruitlessness and fearfulness isn't because, the, the, the problem isn't that we don't know the truth. The message, trust in God alone, is a pretty elementary message. The reason that we don't have this is because we think we can straddle the line. And the reason we can convince ourselves that we think we can straddle the line because we think that our desires that we want, that our measure of abundance is worth following. We think that our heart is worth being our guide. We believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, but many of us still live by the gospel according to Walt Disney. I... I'm thinking, my family's thinking about getting that new streaming service, Disney Plus, recently. My wife was unsure about it, but then when she she went to go see a movie and she saw an ad for Disney Plus, and she saw all her favorite children's movies flash in front of her face and said, oh, I want this. <laughs> and Disney Plus, for my generation, just kind of seems like a nostalgia machine, right? All of her favorite animated movies, all there in one low price. But when I think about all these movies that I grew up on and Aladdin, the original, not the remake. and They have different protagonists and different conflicts and different stories, but it's the same message. The gospel according to Walt Disney is uh, follow your heart. Let your heart be your guide. And we think that our heart, our heart's desires that go after man's measure of success and then follows man's means, we think it's worth following. We think we can have both and. I have some bad news for the gospel of Walt Disney from verse nine and verse 10. Can you look at that there with me? Verse nine. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. There are a lot of deceitful things in this world that I just don't trust anymore. Uh, for instance, infomercials. I no longer trust any infomercial that I will see. And some things, like, they just look too good, too good to be true. And I've learned that if something looks too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, I've shared before, I think, about uh, one product that my wife and I saw uh, on TV, um, a pan, a cooking pan, called Gotham Steel. Looks so, sounds so like powerful and strong. And, um, and they on the infomercial, they showed this test where apparently you can like grate cheese and put it straight on the pan and bake the cheese straight on the pan, but it's so well-coated and so nonstick that even when you bake cheese to a crisp on the pan, it'll still just fall right off. And then uh, my wife and I went on YouTube and looked at product reviews and saw that. That does not hold up to real life. Another thing that I I've learned I can't trust anymore are the mirrors on the walls in the weight room. I don't know if you've seen this before, but at least all the gyms that I've been at, the mirrors on the walls in weight rooms are actually intentionally like concaved with a little flex. So that if you're standing at the right position, you're like, wow, my waist is a lot thinner than I think it is. And my shoulders are a lot broader than I think they are. But then if you take a few steps closer, things start to get back into the real proportion. You're like, oh, okay, I guess not. A lot of deceitful things in this world. The heart is deceitful above all things. And the heart is deceitful above all things because the heart is cursed with the sickness of sin. Ever since Adam and Eve Humanity has always been led like a magnet is pointed towards the north, a compass points towards north, the north pole, so our hearts always lead away from the Lord and towards sinfulness, away from true worship of God and towards idolatry. The heart is desperately sick. Other translations of the same word in other passages say the heart is incurable. It's like hearing the news from the doctor, you've got cancer in your heart late stage the only solution is a transplant and your response is nah i'm good the desires of the heart that you want what you think man's measure will offer you will always lead you away from abundance towards weariness and towards hopelessness but this is the good news of the gospel according to jesus So the gospel of Christ is that he came and he gives us a new heart. As the prophet Ezekiel prophesied, that he would take out our dead, cold, stone hearts and replace it with a heart of flesh. He would take the dead and make them alive. He would give us a heart that beats after him and longs for him and loves him. But the sorrowful, the pain of living in this flesh is that the heart still longs for old things. And what we need to do is to put to death the desire of the heart, we need to choke out the life of our sinful hearts. Jesus suffered so that we could be saved. If you believed in Jesus, he's given you a new heart. If you've never believed in Christ, believe on him today and you will be saved. And for my brothers and sisters who are in the faith, stop following your heart. Stop straddling the line. Stop seeking for abundance in man's measure by man's means. And you know what? You might have everyone else fooled. You might look like you're living the good life, but here's the last expectation I want you to recognize today. Don't expect to fool God. Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of the deeds. See, everyone else might see the outside but God sees the inside. It might look to everyone else that you have the perfect Instagrammable life, but the Lord sees the heart. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. I believe that the best gift the Lord can give you today is the blessing of being broken with open hands, offering to God, here are all my hopes, here are all my desires, here's every measure I've had for abundance and letting God crush it. So that what you thought life should be and could be is no longer recognizable anymore. Let God break you down so that he can rebuild you back up into his image. I've been praying this for our church. I've been praying for the humble in our church, the proud in our church to be humbled. I've been praying for God to transform families, that parents would have the word of God in their heart and it, they would speak it to their kids. I've been praying for the weary in our church, that the people who are ready to quit and ready to give up and tell everybody else that they should go to Jesus to find rest, but they say to themselves, I'll do it tomorrow, that today would be the day that you turn and trust in God. The best gift that God can give you is the blessing of being broken. I pray that the Lord would humble you in your pride. I pray that he would transform you and your family. And I pray that he would comfort you in your weariness, And I pray that we would all enjoy the abundance of life in Christ by deciding to trust in him alone. His measure, his means, his abundance in the spirit. Would you stand with me now as we pray together? Father, thank you for the uh, blessing of being broken, Lord God. Thank you that you are near to the brokenhearted and save the crushed in spirit. Thank you that you break us down and you build us up. And thank you that you are conforming us into the image of Christ. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin, the Holy Spirit who is our helper, the Holy Spirit who never leaves us or forsakes us. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to be people that trust in your word and in prayer, that depend on you so desperately, like, like lungs depend on air, like an infant depends on its mother. So would we yearn and long for the pure spiritual milk that we might grow up into Christ. Lord, would you bless our church with abundance, but would you break us first of our pride? In Jesus' name, amen.